The Mitchell's Front Page Podcast is brought to you by Geelong Bank. Listen live on 94.7 The Pulse, Mondays and Tuesdays from 9 till 11. On the line from the South Coast Times, we have the Associate Editor James Taylor. Good morning. Good morning, Mitchell. And let me just say right at the outset, I'm very glad I don't have to write about New South Wales state politics. <laughs> yeah, that's true. It's very interesting up there. Like I was talking about this yesterday, they seem to have a lot more resignations and things change quite quickly. And of course, ICAC claimed the scalp of three Liberal premiers. We don't seem to quite have that same level of turnover down here. Well, that's right. I guess that's because we don't have that same level of ICAC down here for for, for starters. Um, and also, with some of the, it might, although it probably has to do particularly with, with the calibre of some of the people that are, that, that are putting themselves forward in, in New South Wales to stand for government. And I'm not, and I'm not trying to single out any particular, any particular parties in particular here. That there's, um, there seem to be sort of some howling mistakes on both sides of the aisle. So um, it came as a bit of a surprise, actually. So, well, well, actually, not, not, perhaps not a bit of a surprise, but perhaps, perhaps, a, perhaps a suddenness um, that Gladys Berejiklian decided that she, she, she could, it was, it was basically untenable for her to be New South Wales Premier anymore. But, um, but uh, John Barilaro deciding to pull the pin yesterday was was a definite surprise. Mm. I definitely didn't see that one coming. No. Um, so, yeah, that happened, I think, as we were on air and uh, had to sort of react to the, the news in real time. Now, uh, what's yep. the latest down there on the surf coast? Oh, well, the, 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 uh, well, we're, we're, well, we're out of lockdown down here, thankfully, which is, which is very welcome, everybody. And sort of things are... Things are getting back to normal. Uh, your hopefully readers of the, of the paper might have spotted yesterday the sort of restaurants are re- reopening back up and sort of setting seating customers in very in very small numbers, including including the Kin Restaurant, which um, which uh, caught on fire just days before it was about to reopen about about nine months ago. This was about in um, this was in I think I think I think in about December of, of twenty twenty. So they've had to basically set about rebuilding the whole place from the inside out again, and they reopened. Um, Again on the fifteenth of September, and then closed again because because the lockdown kicked in. Wow! Um, so so that, so that was unfortunate. But then they but then they re, then they reopened again. I think as of last week when the um when the lockdown lifted again, and so they um and so they so they are back in business. So um not not every not every business in, on the surf coast has been through that sort of journey over the past um the past nine months. But it's good to see it's good to see a business that did that did take a, that did take a real body blow right at the start. Um, get uh, get uh, get back up uh, get back up and going again. Does the Surf Coast Times have a restaurant critic on staff? No, we don't. We should. I would I would put myself forward for that gig, but I have tried being a restaurant critic. I I, flew, I, I dabbled with it very very briefly when I was working at the Bendigo Advertiser, and to be quite and to be quite frank, I wasn't much good at it. Um, so um, I, I love restaurants. I love Indian restaurants, but I can't. I'm not. I'm not good at writing about food. So, um, so you would have, so, so we have to leave that the expert. We have a couple of very good food columnists. We have um, we have a uh, sort of uh, alternating weeks. We have Mary, we have Mary Ellen Belleville who writes on the plate, and then we have um, Tony uh, Ledoux who writes who writes Great Australian food for us. So, so they so there are there are resident food experts, but I wouldn't I wouldn't call them on staff. There are there there are food contributors. Now, looking on your website, I see there's an article that's been written by you, published today, about a twenty four seven cat curfew. Yeah, yeah. This is something that this is this comes this comes from a this comes from a petition that uh, that was lodged at the, at the council meeting as of as of last week, I think the twenty eighth of September. Um, the rules as existing as of right now. So, if you have a cat in the shire, and unless you live in the rural zone, which I guess is anywhere outside of the built up um, urban areas of of towns on the surf coast, you must keep your cat inside your premises between eight pm and six am. So, so that's a ten hour. So that's that's a ten hour curfew, and is in response to, and I quote, 
community concerns about the negative environmental impacts of cats on native animals and the usage value of wandering animals for neighbouring households. So that's all very well and good, but um, some people don't think that's enough. And so they'd like the Surf Coast Shire to introduce a 24-hour-a-day, seven-day-a-week curfew right across it, right across the municipality. Um, nearly 400 people have signed this, um, uh, and they've and they've presented this petition to the Surf Coast Shire Council, who will take it into consideration, as I understand, as they develop their new domestic animal management plan, which covers all sorts of things in terms of cats and lost dogs and bike dog parks and all, all, all anything to do with dogs and dogs and cats and domestic animals that 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 you could possibly think of. Um, and they'll and the draft stamp will be presented to the council, I think, later this month. So so we'll see how it goes really. I'm not sure I'm not sure what the appetite from the Shire or from the wider Surf Coast community is about about keeping your cat inside your inside your house unless you live sort of out in, out, out in a rural area um, all the time. But um, Let's see how the uh, Shire responds to it. So the cats, what, wouldn't even be allowed outside in the backyard during the day under that proposal? No, uh, I think uh, I, I, I think you'd find your property. I think you could probably let them outside, but you'll probably have to build a cat run or something so mm. they couldn't jump over the fence or run away because cats aren't very good at jumping fences and, and, yes. and, uh, and are natural escape artists. <laughs> um, another big thing down there I see in the last council meeting, there was a, a vote about Australia Day and what that would look like on the surf coast and the resolution was in favour of uh, really dialling it down and I think flying the flags at half-mast, that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's the general gist of it. The Shire has been this sort of, this, I guess, springs from an early decision by the council to uh, to sort of re- review its flag policy, I think I think the idea this uh, there was a council resolution a long time ago to um, to fly flags at half mast on Australia Day, um, and then so perhaps from that sort of the uh, wider discussion about um, about what to do about Australia Day has started. Uh, 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 the motion I think was originally put forward by um, by Kate Gazard, and the suggestion is the shy will will not hold any sort of official. Australia Day celebrations, uh, which it usually which it has done in previous years, both in Torquay and in Anglesey. They're both fairly large sort of um, community events with like barbecues and um, and um, handing out of awards and that sort of thing. The Shire will continue to hold um, citizenship ceremonies because that's a that's a federal government requirement on Australia Day. So 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 it's going to keep doing that, but it um but it is um, exploring options to see if it can get a, if you can see about actually not doing that anymore. Yeah, it's an interesting notion holding a citizenship ceremony on a day when all of the flags are at half-mast and it's that sort of vibe when you're also getting your citizenship uh, on the same day. Yeah, well, that's, that's, probably, that's probably the thing that the, uh, that the Surf Coast Shire is trying, is trying to grapple with in terms of um, the official statement from the Shire as of last, as of last week's council meeting um, was that... Um, January 26th is a difficult day for First Nations people as it represents a date that Europeans settled in this country and commenced the decimation of their ancestors and culture. So, yeah, I can understand that there's um, there's a disconnect, if you like, between the idea that you are becoming a citizen of Australia on a day that is, for some people, um, a very a, a, a very serious and very and very, um, and, uh, and, uh, and a very sad day for uh, for those uh, First Nations people. Now, the Aquatic Centre, I believe, tenders have opened for that. Oh, this is the uh, yeah. This is a Surf Coast Shire Aquatic Centre. Yes. Absolutely, yeah. And, um, 
Um, if you're if you've got anything, if you've got any sort of knowledge about designing a pool, um, the surf coast uh, shy wants to hear about it. Um, I, I wouldn't know the first thing about designing a pool, but I, I, I imagine it's a fairly lengthy and fairly and, and fairly difficult process, especially when we're talking about the shy's largest project. Just a just a just a very cool thirty nine point two five million dollars. So so hopefully whoever puts themselves forward for this um, for this uh, tender. It definitely has some knowledge about about what they're doing because because just short of forty million dollars is is not a insubstantial amount of money. So you'd want a really good designer to get out of it. The Shire hopes to um, hopes to appoint a design team not at its next meeting, which comes uh, which will be later this month, but in but in November twenty four. So that kind of um, as I understand the uh, tender process closes on the twentieth of October. Um, so it'll be interesting to see who um, who who pops up. I, I I don't know who's in the um I don't know who's in the game when it comes to sort of designing pools. I I I I, I, I don't know who the market leaders are, um, but I, I certainly look forward to finding out who it is. And um and and after that, um, uh, given that design is expected to, to take about twelve months to see what what designs they come up with, there's an indicative design. In the sort of the in the in, in the in the council documents about about what the pool will look like, sort of located right next door to the um, to the Wordy Bay Stadium and just north of the um, of the Shire's council chambers there in, in Torquay North, sort of going over that over that big rectangle of green that's been sitting there for a long time and has been reserved for that purpose. But that's 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 very indicative. That's certainly not the final design. It'll be so it'll it's certainly subject to change. Can you let us know where did you actually get to down there and the actual discussions and negotiations around? Is it 25 metres, 50 metres, indoor, outdoor? Because um, if you're just a casual observer, it's actually quite hard to keep track of all of the argy-bargy. Yeah, no, it's, it's, definitely, it's, definitely, 50, it's definitely 50 metres and, and definitely indoor. Um, it's um, it's definitely fifty meters, definitely indoor, and I think it's definitely fifty meters and definitely indoor because that's that's one of the that's one of the conditions that's tied to the federal government commitment towards the project. Um, so I think I think the feds, as committed by Sarah Henderson when she was the the uh, Liberal member for Karangamite, committed twenty million bucks towards the project, and I think that that commitment was explicitly for a fifty meter do- for for a fifteen million dollar indoor pool. So the Shire, as I recall, when it came to sort of Taking the next step, said, "Well, we aren't going to consider any options that don't have a 15 meter indoor pool because otherwise we won't be we won't be eligible for the money." So, along with 20 million dollars from the feds, there's 13.5 million dollars from the state government, um, and a and a 5.75 million dollars from the council. The council originally didn't want to put any any capital funding in into the project um, at all, but um, but I think realised that. Uh, uh, the only way they could sort of get up to the magic figure was to sort of tip in some of their own money. So that's what they've done. And there won't be any rate increase or anything like that, will there? Because I think that was the controversial part of the first idea, wasn't it? Well, that's right. I think this is. I, I think the Shire was that was sort of the model. That was the that was the testing the water process. The idea. Well, the idea is we'll have a we'll have a one off sort of rate rise to fund the construction, and then a and then an ongoing rate rise to um to actually build the thing. The Shire seems to have abandoned that entirely. Um, if rates go up, it'll be it'll be because rates go up all the time, um, and not specifically because of the pool, as I understand. I mean, pools are very expensive to build and also very expensive to run. Um, but coming, but depending on how efficiently this is done and how cleverly you are you are designed, the pool. I guess I I, I guess you would cover the thing in solar panels and make it as and make it as energy efficient as possible. Um, that that will hopefully keep its running costs down. 
And the front page of your paper last Thursday, it's got a pretty big headline about Bells Beach being at risk and it interviews uh, Darren Noyes-Brown, um, who I know is quite a big person down there, a well-known individual from the Sefka Surfrider Foundation. Um, mm-hmm. Talk to us about that and uh, what is the mood like down there and I suppose how do you respond to news like that? Yeah, well, this is a, this is as a, a, a as I recall, this is a uh, this is a story from my um, from my colleague Alison Martin, who yes. um, who's who's been following the issue of, of sort of of the wider issue of sort of coastal erosion, if you like. Um, this is something that um, that sprang from some sea level data, as I understand. There was some there, there was a uh, there was a I'm just trying to recall. It was there was a there was an institution that that ran. Um, a fairly wide um, analysis of coastal erosion. That's right, Coastal Risk Australia. Yeah, um, and it uses sort of data from the from the intergovernmental panel on climate change to sort of assess coastal risk of erosion and all that sort of thing. Um, um, and and at 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 all of the projections for towns along. I'll, I'll, Along a coastline, so obviously the the Surfrider Foundation have a long and established relationship with Bell's Beach. People like people like Maurice Cole have been have been hanging around Dolls for for the better part of fifty years and have, been, and have sort of and have sort of seen things happen with their own eyes. So um, they're really on the front lines of, of being able to sort of spot the thing happen. So I guess so from the Surfriders Foundation, they're they're very keen to sort of to see everything done possible to see. Um, Erosion, which is, which of course is a natural process, and it's very hard to stop erosion entirely, but not to accelerate it by by artificial means any faster than it has to be. Well, finally, something to leave us with: what's coming up in the paper this week? Yeah, we've got a, we've got a um, we've got an interesting one about uh, the uh, the people. Uh, also speaking about the Surf Coast Shire meeting, the um, the uh, people from the uh, from the Torquay Tornadoes are very happy about um, a business case being put forward for a multi-use facility be, to be. Put, put in Torquay North, so um, um, there's a there's a big vacant paddock in Torquay North, which is which is kind of the last last sort of vacant land in the area. Um, and according to the business case that's being run, that's where a that's where a multi use facility for hockey and other sort of sports on a synthetic surface will go ahead. And, um, and the Torquay Senators are sort of massively massively chuffed about this because they've been they've been pushing for sort of a dedicated pitch on which they could play hockey for for for, for the better part of um of ten years. So uh, we'll have all the details about that one. Excellent. Look, thank you very much for being on the program as always, and we'll talk to you in two weeks' time. Thanks, Mitch. James Taylor there, the Associate Editor of the Surf Coast Times. The Mitchell's Front Page Podcast is brought to you by Geelong Bank. Listen live on 94.7 The Pulse, Mondays and Tuesdays from 9 to 11. Or search for Mitchell's Front Page on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or wherever you get your podcasts.